Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Good to see you again. Second time today. Go figure. We crossed paths literally while we were on the same path going in opposite directions in uh, White Mud Ravine. Yeah, one of the most beautiful walks in the city. It was very nice. Very and nice. I was. Yeah, I don't usually go there. Yeah, I was out with a couple friends. I've I've only been there a few times this year. I usually stick to the River Valley itself, but we were just out for a walk, and then you were out for a walk, and we bumped into each other, which was a very in, uh, startling but uh, nice encounter, Bruce, to meet you and have you meet my friends. You look different in a baseball hat. Yeah, although my Twitter <laughs> new Twitter or X by, mug has a baseball cap on. Right. So. Uh, yeah, in the sun, I like to wear that old uh, baseball cap. Okay. It was hot today. 29, I think, yeah. It was hot. So are you out walking every day, or do you mean like six every out day. of seven every day? So last day I missed was January 14th. What happened on January 14th? Uh, my father-in-law had his memorial ceremony, so I stuck close to my family that day. There you go. There's so. a good reason. That was, uh, yeah, I was just coming off being sick and I was just getting going again, but uh, at least an hour every day. And it's uh, many days, it's the best hour of the whole day. It's absolutely uh, foundational, I think, for happiness mm-hmm. is Agreed. to get out and, and move. And how long have you been? How many years is it? Was it COVID? Well, five or? years. Yeah. Well, COVID, COVID was when I stepped it up to a minimum one hour. But really, when I went to Newfoundland in 2018 and survived walking the steep hills of St. John's, I thought, well, if I can do this in St. John's, I can do it in St. Albert. And so I just started going. I, I, I'm on and off lifer for walking, but uh, now I'm definitely on again. Yeah, it was COVID that got me out walking mm-hmm. with my friends uh, from uh, Devon, you know, my lifelong friends, which I met, you know, as early as grade three and um, mm-hmm. and continue to this day. And there's a group of us and, you know, four or five of us. And it's we go out walking quite a bit, although now some of us have graduated to doing the stairs as well. Which it was is, fun, uh, fun talking to your buddies about watching the final of the 72 summit series but you guys watched together in class in which i missed the first period because my physics teacher in grade 12 told me that there, i had an exam that day i'm still uh, <laughs> i liked him i liked him as a teacher but he really fumbled the ball that day that was a steve smith kind of blunder you know that uh, that's stuck with me over all these years that uh, yeah, and it was a fake test. He said, I just told you that to get you to come to class. And I should have just got up and walked uh, up. And I don't know, I just didn't have the, whatever. So by the time we got out of class, it was two to two at the end of the first. And the uh, whole school was watching in the rotunda. So there's your mandatory 1970s sports reference. <laughs> right off the top. It was for me, you were already, of course, a longtime hockey fan by then. Yep. I think you were in grade 12. I was in, I think grade four or five um i thought it was in grade three but it turns out it was grade four or five i had a my memory wasn't correct on that and uh it i really became a hockey fan um after that like i, I was already from the 71 actually the 72 playoffs mm-hmm. uh when ken dryden i think he, 71. 
was that in 71? Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'd already been a hockey fan for, for about a year. But that really was a searing moment for me in terms of like just focusing me laser sharp on hockey the rest of my life. Paul Henderson scoring and Phil Esposito playing so well. And yeah, I just read, listened to Ken Dryden's audio book. Um, so mm-hmm. it's only two hours. It's, and I wouldn't recommend it. He doesn't remember a whole lot yeah. from the series. Um, his books are usually pretty good, but that one wasn't that good. It was pretty um, thin. Bruce, um, today we're going to talk about some news with the Edmonton Oilers. We had some news last time, you know, mm-hmm. the replacement of Tyler Wright with Rick Tracy, the Dick Tracy of amateur scouting. And um, now we are going to talk about the PTO for Sam Gagne, as well as a couple of players that we've been reviewing. You reviewed... Um, Jaden Grub and I reviewed um, Carter Savoy, and we'll talk about those two players. Are you? Uh, you're also writing about Olivier Rodrigue. Rodrigue, yeah. Yes. We can talk about him tonight if you sure. if you dug into that. Let's start with the news though, with Sam Gagne, PTO Bruce. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down. What do you make of it? I think it was almost inevitable, David, with his uh, his sort of one degree of um, connection to Jeff Jackson who uh, he was Jeff Jackson's first client. And he was also his dad, Dave Gagne, was a, was a very central person in the firm of, uh, that, uh, of agents that they were involved in. And in fact, it was Dave Gagne who became the skills coach of the, uh, of the agents group. And that was a really interesting approach by them. I, I don't know how many other agents do it or did it back uh, when they started doing it, but where they actually uh, uh, provided skills training for their own clients, as well as they did their own scouting for which clients they wanted to sign up at age 14. So all those little bits of background in Jeff Jackson will have relevance in uh, at least the process. Obviously, it's different looking at an 18-year-old player than a 14-year-old, and different again looking at a 24-year-old, but uh, it's, uh, you know, uh, it would not surprise me to see Sam Gagne land in the organization in a longer-term role that involved him wearing a suit and tie or also wearing sweatpants and a tracksuit or whatever as a skills coach, uh, whether it be, you know, one-on-one individual training or what have you. And in the meantime, you know, 16 years later, he's still in the NHL last year, and nobody wants to sign him to a contract well who's makes more sense to give him a pto than edmonton so generally i'm you know i'm not really anticipating that he's going to be the difference maker uh but i have no objection to uh to giving him a shot i would have more objection if he was made skills coach like i think they should give that job to a lifelong skills coach like someone mm, like yeah, i don't I, if, if sam gagne if he puts in the time like adam oates does and develops a client list and becomes a skills coach, then yeah, but I, like I boy, that, that would be the last thing. Yeah, like his dad. Yeah, no, I'm thinking so he, more he, even just starting, but lower down, like, you know, sure. there maybe a roving coach that goes to Bakersfield and to... Uh, Scout. Um, yeah. Where where do the Comets play? Uh, Fort Wayne in the ECHL. You know, where the orders or the juniors or wherever the orders prospects are and work with them a little bit. Maybe that kind of role. Uh, it's it's a guess. In the short term, what I would do with Sam Gagne at camp is the same thing I would do with uh, Brandon Sutter. I would staple him to a young guy 
say one of the conditions of your being here on a PTO, Sam, <clears throat> is that I want you to work with Matt Bay Petrov. I want you to yeah. you sit at the dinner table with him, tell him what you've been through as an offensive-minded player in the league, what you took your hard time to get used to, uh, what you found was successful, you know, just share your knowledge with him. And uh, as for you, Brandon Sutter, I want you to do the exact same thing with Jaden Grube. Big, young, right shot, defensive, first center just coming into the league. Just think of all the experience you've got that you could share with that guy. So that's what it, I do. It, not a bad idea, Bruce. And Matvey Petrov was an interesting choice for Sam Gagne because they're similar players in, in that they're you know both highly skilled offensive hockey players coming out of junior, but not the fastest skaters. Mm-hmm. And it could well be... Um, for Matvey Petrov to have an NHL career. I mean, he's not this, as highly rated as Sam Gagne was coming out of junior, not even close, but he's going to have to become a strong defensive hockey player, a smart defensive hockey player. And that's some, something Sam Gagne had to learn along the way as well. And I never really did, you know. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about he, to say. Like, Certainly from his, in his second trip to Edmonton, he was, he was marginally better, but he was never a strong defensive player. He was uh, hardwired to watch the puck. I agree. And this is why, like, some people are kind of like, we're selling him as a gritty player who can add to your fourth line some defensive prowess and he's learned to kill penalties. And I'll believe it when I see it, Bruce. I've never seen. Listen, I've never seen. Even as a defensive hockey And this is what. Now we're getting into why Sam Gagne has me blocked on Twitter because my repeated criticisms of. Uh, I think of really? him as oh. a defensive. I actually think all players should block all of mm-hmm. us on Twitter. Like, don't listen to us. But anyway, this is, I. Um, but I, I do have criticized him a lot, and I I agree with you. I just don't see him as a fourth, a very useful fourth line hockey player on this team. Brandon Sutter, if he's healthy, um, and can and can still skate, there's a slight chance because he has a skill set the Oilers could use at center, big center, tough center, um, but. Sam Gagne, I, they don't need a winger, um, smaller winger, who's not particularly physical, not particularly defensively skilled um, on this team. Just as, and not particularly fast either. Uh, Raphael Lavoie um, would seem to have all the skills that, that Gagne would have at a much younger age, and he's way bigger and a somewhat mm. ferocious. So anyway, well, I'm not against this. I think it's a good, it's a favor to Sam Gagne. He's trying you, to come back. Go ahead. I'll bet you dollars uh, to donuts that Sam is on the plane to Winnipeg in the preseason when the Oilers have to ice a minimum number of NHL veterans to satisfy the minimum league requirement. Uh, and that's the game where the PTO guys always get their chance to shine right alongside the Matt Faye Petrovs and Graydon, Jaden Grooves of the world. Yeah, right. They might as well sit next to each other on the flight, David, well, there and back. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Let's get these guys talking to one another and uh, getting, the, getting the young guys. So, you know, just for a short time, really, potentially, that they're going to be around. But, uh, but uh, get them... Uh, these are both character players, in my view, uh, Sutter and Gagne. Yeah, I can uh, see. Yeah, I see your point too. Like in terms of reintroducing Sam Gagne to the Edmonton Oilers, I just think that's like a one in twenty chance. 
But in terms of introducing him to the organization again and maybe bringing him into the organization and working towards that, it's more like 50-50. Mm, there's that, every chance he yeah. continues his career after the game. And Edmonton is a very high likelihood of being the place that he starts doing it. It, it could well be the case. And um, that's not a bad idea to develop uh, people that people in that regard. So, but yeah, so there's, there's I mean, the, the the comment that surprised me. Let me see if I can find it. Was Mark Spector essentially suggesting that um, <laughs> Sutter and Gagne would be battling it out for the fourth line center job? Did you see that one? No. All right. Let me just see if I can find it real quick here on Twitter. But um, that's the suggestion that. There's this now that they've got Gagne here. Um, that's the that's the coming that's the what's in the cards. And when I read that, I just thought, okay, here's what he tweeted. Uh, quote Mark Spector. So Oilers announced that in addition to Brandon Sutter's PTO, they have offered Sam Gagne one as well. There's your battle for the last roster spot at 4C. May the best man win. Unquote. And honestly, I just was a little bit gobsmacked. Like I just, like, I don't see either of these guys with any kind of realistic, you know, more than ten percent chance of being on the roster. Let alone them, them actually, you know, it's it's Gagne or Sutter at center. The owners have got to do better than that, frankly. And um, it would be disappointing if that's as, if they actually are looking for a fourth line center right now. If that's as good as they could have done, you know, what do you have all of these scouts for if they're not scouring the AHL ranks for a 24, 25 year old center who can take like so they were counting on Noah Philp. He's not coming. But what what are these guys doing if they haven't identified one or two candidates that like 24, 25, you know, the new Kevin McClellan kind of idea where you bring in a guy at that age and he's rugged, defensively responsible, can win face-offs and he's in the prime of his career. That's who you need at center, not all due respect, not these two guys. And where, where is that player? Where is that signing? So if this is actually the idea of Spectre isn't just, just as spitballing this himself, if this is if he's heard this from someone and this is the plan, this is a terrible plan. Bruce. No, it's not. It's not the plan. There's no way that they're um, <laughs> projecting Sam Gagne as a center, right? Uh, maybe Sutter, sure. That's been his career. Uh, Gagne last year played 48 games in Winnipeg and took 46 faceoffs. Winning 14 and losing 32, I might add. Like he's never been good at it. Uh, and face, I mean, faceoffs is not to be all in se- uh, of center, but what it is is an indicator. And the guy that never takes faceoffs, there's almost a zero percent chance he's playing center the rest of the time. And one of his wingers has taken the draw for him. He's been a winger for a number of years now. He kind of did the Cogliano thing, you know. He came in here thinking he's a high-scoring center. And after years of, you know, being sort of medium scoring center, always around 40 points all the time he was here, uh, he moved on and he, I think, had his best year uh, in Columbus. I don't think he was playing much center there when he had 50 points. And he's uh, he's really a, a utility, you know, depth forward now. His, yeah. Uh, 
his uh, you know his his smarts offensively have value, but his skating and his defensive play and his faceoffs, frankly, are are uh, uh, historically uh, not great, and uh, the wheels won't be getting any any faster at age 34. I mean, this Oilers team has to beat Vegas, right? Mm-hmm. Vegas had a pretty good fourth line. I'll say. And it's doesn't have players of that quality caliber. Yeah, need, where's, Sutter Nick, and Daniel. Nick, where's Nicholas Roy for Oilers? They need that player on us for C. Well, that's why, like, to me, like, you can McDavid, if McDavid and Drysaddle, you're going to start the year with them at center and not have them on the same line. And we'll probably see a lot of them on the same line now. And then and Ryan McLeod at, at third line center, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Dylan Holloway was uh, well, a really good center. Too. He was a really good center in university hockey. He's a big, fast guy, and um, he can play that position. Uh, there's Derek Ryan, who is a very, yeah. very smart defensive hockey yeah. player, who, who's, I think, better at wing at this point, because I st- center is a grind, and it grinds you down, and it's hard to play. And um, But, you know, there's also um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who could be shifting over to third-line center, and McLeod then to fourth-line. There's Matthias Janmark, who is a, yeah. a bigger, faster, and def- incredibly smart defensive hockey player who could play center. So um, that's the battle. And there, then there's Lane Peterson, who um, is 25 years old. Don't I guess this is Lane Peterson. That's the guy yeah. we were just talking about. That yeah, that's my mistake. Was, I forgot him, and I was criticizing Oilers management for not signing oh. that player. That, I have maybe to he's him. that guy. Maybe. Maybe he's that guy. And, and, I'm you know, not the super confident, day but you yeah. got to find. And Hamblin, James mm-hmm. Hamblin, who played what it was seven, eight games last year Ten. for the Oilers. He's also in the mix. So anyway, this is my, um, uh, not to beat this to death, but there's lots of other realistic options at center. I just don't see Sutter or Gagne as either of them, really. They're just, they, you know, it's could happen, but um, I just, I'd be skeptical of that. Bruce, um, I did a, I dug, we talked last time about um, Tyler Wright and um, his replacement uh, Rick Pracy and, um, and, and, and I, so I just went and, and did a bit of a more thorough review of both Tyler Wright's entire career drafting. And, um, and I've just tonight I was doing Rick Pracy's entire career as drafting. And when I say drafting, I mean, when they were in the position where they were the number one guy, right. um, leading the amateur scouting process in their organizations. So for, for Tyler Wright, that was two years in Columbus and then um, five years in Detroit from uh, 20, 2015 to 19, I believe, and um, two years before that in Columbus. And, and Bob Green, I wanted to look at him because I, um, he ran the show on Edmonton from 2015 to 2019. Mm-hmm. And he was replaced by Tyler Wright, but he stayed in the organization. So both he, Bob Green, has been the chief scout for the Oilers in this time period with Tyler Wright as his boss. So Bob Green's still having a fairly big say for the Oilers in terms of scouting. But I think it's fair to say it's just, and I said this before, it's too early to tell how how the Tyler Wright-Bob Green team did between um, 2020 and 2023. We just don't know. There's just so many players there who, you know, um, could turn out 
Uh, Dylan Holloway, uh, we don't know where he's going. We don't know where Tyler Tulio is going. We don't know where Matvey Petrov. Um, we don't know where uh, Maximus Weiner is going to end up. There's Bo Aiki. All of these draft picks that were taken, Xavier Borgo even. Now, it's, we're, getting a, we're getting early indications on them. And, you know, we can start to think, well, the Hill, Holloway's got a lot of promise and Borgo was a bit of a disappointment, for instance. And um, in his first year in the AHL, at least you'd like to see a bit more point production. Yeah, would. So, so we're getting some indication, but it's too early. But with Wright, there's all these years in Columbus and Detroit. And what I'm going to say is he has a pretty iffy record, Bruce. Um, what what a scout has to do, I think, essentially, is every single year in a draft, you got to... Um, if you have six or seven draft picks, you've got to find a core 12 player on your team on average. You've got to you've got to, got to get a player who's going to come in and replace one of those core 12 guys. That's 12 years in the draft. If you replace one every year, um, and you do that with with uh, decent hockey players, you're going to be um, you're doing your job. And in one in four years, if you can hit on a player who's kind of Team Canada quality. Who would um, you know? I, I see Team Canada as the hardest team in the world to make. So, um, could you make Team Canada, whatever nationality nationality you're on? Would you be able to make a team of that caliber? If in one in four years you're getting a player of that quality, then you're probably going to have a good NHL team, maybe even a great NHL team. So, I'm looking at it from from that point of view. And when I look at um, Tyler Wright's career in um, he didn't really hit on a lot. I, he didn't hit that core 12 player. You know, his his the best the best draft picks he made were Dylan Larkin and Moritz Sider. He was still in charge during the Moritz Sider draft. So kind of his first um, Detroit pick, Dylan Larkin, and his last first pick, uh, those were his best ones. But in between, he missed on a lot of first round picks. And his other decent picks were Alex Wenberg, who's who's a core 12 player in Seattle right now, Oliver Bjorkstrand, who's a core 12 player in Seattle, and Philip Hronick, who is a core 12 player in Vancouver. Those are really the highlights. He, he, he got five good players. None of them, though, are star players, although Cider might become a star player, and Larkin would probably <clears throat> be on Team USA. Larkin's so he's got a, a pretty, couple of seventy-point seasons and a couple more sixty-point seasons. He's, he's pretty close good. to one. He's pretty. He's pretty, pretty good player. Um, then the next best hopefuls to become core twelve players are Michael Rasmussen, who kind of was in their core twelve last year on a fairly weak Detroit team. He was the third line center, and a young. There's a couple of young wingers: Elmer Soderstrom, a great big guy, and a younger guy. <clears throat> What's his name? Jonathan. Uh, Jonathan Bergeron. Who All might right. make it? Who might make it as a mm-hmm. in their top? Both of them have a chance. They're kind of like almost like Raphael Lavoie quality prospects. Maybe I saw a little bit El- Elmer, big Elmer, play for uh, Sweden at the uh, uh, Linka Gretzky uh, in 2018, and he was. I mean, they were all under 18, right? And he was like six foot seven or eight at that time, and he was. He stood out. I actually liked him as a player. I thought he's smart. He goes yeah. to the right places. He's effective. You know, he's not a speedster, but he's probably at that size a little faster than he looks. You know, not real great 
uh, reactions. I thought that's a guy with real NHL future, and I was shocked when Detroit got him as late as they did, to be honest, because I saw a tournament. I thought someone's going to pick that guy in, you know, second, third round. And anyway, didn't happen, but. He might make it still. Like, he's he's very promising. I wouldn't bet against and, him. He made progress uh, yeah. last year. He got two yeah, or three call-ups. So, you know, and if, so. if, I, if both of those guys make it into the core 12 in Detroit and become good players, then you might say, oh, well, actually, we'll give Tyler Wright a passing mark. But at this point, he had a ton of draft picks, too. Mm-hmm. Like, they had amassed, um, in some of oh, those yeah. years, quite a lot of draft picks. And there's just not a lot. There's all a lot of misses in the second and third round and in the first round. So when you look at that and... It's, it's not like the draft record in Edmonton, at least it doesn't stand out right now as sparkling. Like there's not anything jumping out you as like, oh, this is that this is for sure going to be good. I think they made the right decision to move on from him. I, like we're not exactly sure, you know, did he move on from them? Did he, he's got one year left on his contract. But I just think it was whatever happened, it's good they've replaced him. He just doesn't seem to be in the top tier, Bruce of people doing NHL drafting. He's definitely second tier, you know, below the first group. And you'd have to do a more thorough study to say where exactly where he ranks, but he's not among the best in this in his field. Bob Green, though, I mean, in his time in Edmonton, so he drafted uh, McDavid, which is a no-brainer. But with this, the 10th the pick in the 2018 draft, he drafted Evan Bouchard. And, um, you know, there's lots of players you can take then. It was a fairly deep draft for defensemen. After Bouchard went Noah Dobson, um, who's become a very good defenseman as well. But the Evan Bouchard pick, I mean, Bouchard is a definite, he's a core 12 player. And yes. he is possibly Team Canada quality. Stuart Skinner, uh, 2017, uh, 78th overall, core 12 player, possibly Team Canada quality. Mainly because Team Canada's goalie situation isn't that great. But he, in those Bob Green years, they also took John Marino, 154th overall. And he's a core 12 player, I believe, in... Uh, New Jersey. Uh, they took Kyler Yamamoto, who twenty uh, second overall, who's a core was a core twelve player in Edmonton for three or f- three four years here, and um, could well be again in Seattle. Like he he hasn't played well in Edmonton, but he has played in the core twelve consistently. So I did deem him to be of that caliber. He also took Ryan McLeod twenty fortieth uh, overall in twenty eighteen, so another core twelve player. So that's um, six of them in five years. So he, you know, one of those McDavid is a sure thing, but he he actually did pretty well. And then um, there's some other players who are still hopeful in terms of rising up. There's Philip Broberg, of course. There's Raphael Lavoie and Michael Kesselring, who could, who has developed very well unexpectedly and is getting a chance in Arizona. And who knows where what his ceiling is there. Now, he's likely not to be a, a core 12 player. Like he'd be a smaller percentage uh, attaining those heights, but it's a possibility. He also drafted Ethan Baird, Caleb Jones, Marcus Niemelainen, Vincent Deharnay, uh, Dmitry Samarukov, who was turned into a good piece in Clean Costin. So the owners got, I think, pretty exceptional value. And I would say that in those years, Bob Green, although he has two big uh, black marks against his name, the first is he was part of the group that really wanted to, to trade for Griffin Reinhardt. He was very bullish on Griffin Reinhardt in 2015. And I'm um, very confident in this player. And that obviously was a major mistake, draft day mistake, trading a first and a second round pick for Griffin Reinhardt. And the second big mistake is Yessa Pugliarvi, who um, was the fourth overall pick. Again, probably 80% of NHL teams would have taken Yessa Pugliarvi. 
70% with that pick. There's a few that might have taken Matt Kachuk and a few might have taken Sergachev, possibly. Mm-hmm. But it's nonetheless a mistake at this point. Um, yeah, you know, you, you, you got to do better. You, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I get criticized for judging the picks in retrospect, saying, well, who would you have picked? And I would say, well, I would have picked Jesse Poliarvi too. And guess what? I also would have been wrong. Yeah. It turned out. You know, we would have been blamed. And you, uh, that's well. how it works, right? <laughs> you, you, yeah, I mean, but you still have off. to say, was that the best pick available? And in the retrospect, clearly, no, it was not. And, yeah. you know, you have to sort of look at all those things in retrospect and try and be clear-headed about it and also give credit when they got something right, you know? So so what do you think of Bob Green, uh, his, his record, Bruce? What's your take on it? Well, I've got... Uh, um, Started tracking him, of course, when he was with the Oil Kings. Yeah. And uh, he had a fantastic stretch of uh, of success there, building and not quite. He was he left the year before they won the Memorial Cup. But the year after they won the first uh, Edge and Outh Cup for the Western Hockey League. And with the powerhouse already already uh, built and well underway. And he, he uh, had a whole bunch of, in the early years when they were not good, very high draft picks, and he really made them count uh, with uh, with uh, players who uh, uh, who delivered the goods in Edmonton, of whom Griffin Hart Reinhardt was one. I mean, he picked that guy when he was 16 years old. He came in and made the team, and the, the team went from, as I recall, they went from 21st in goals against in a 22-team league to, I think it was 11th, then to second, and then to first, and then they stayed in first. And, I mean, that was Griffin. I wasn't just Reinhardt, obviously. There was a lot going on. And uh, uh, they had, uh, you know, lots of good players, good goaltending, good coaching. But Reinhardt's years exactly overlapped the, you know, the strongest four years that the organization had. And that was Bob Green's experience with him. And my understanding is Jolly asked him if he would recommend uh, Reinhardt, and he said yes, and, but it wasn't he who was recommended trading two high, high draft picks in the best draft in the last 10 years for him. That I'd was watched GM's Griffin, decision. Yeah. I mean, I had watched Griffin Reinhardt, because there had been talk of trading the dry settle pick, mm-hmm. the dry settle pick for Griffin mm-hmm. Reinhardt. And so I was watching him leading up to that, because there was, you know, people were, you mm-hmm. know, sports writers were saying, this is, might not be a bad idea, Griffin Reinhardt. And so I started watching, and I was, I was, terrified the orders would make the move because when I watched Griffin Reinhardt even at that time Bruce in junior hockey I just saw a slow hockey player like a smart yeah, hockey that player that was the overriding but, thing in the end but wasn't it? slow and you know on that from that oil kings memorial championship team there's only one player who's fashioned a strong NHL career and that's the goalie Tristan Jari mm-hmm. none of the players um the, yeah Henrik Samuelson Curtis Lazar has been up and down. Mitch Moraz, Cody Corbett, Edgars Kulda, Brett Pollock, um, Dyson Mayo, and Reinhardt. None of these players, uh, which is interesting because I don't think that's usual for a Memorial Cup championship team. Usually there's a couple players. Yeah, yeah. I'm shocked. Play- Both them and, and uh, Portland, really, for all that they met in the finals three years in a row. There was very little that, that really made uh, NHL impacts, you know. And, and I really liked Henrik Samuel, Samuelson watching him at the time. So, you know, yeah, that's just what I know. Like, I, I didn't like Reinhardt much, but I really liked Samuelson. And, yeah, is that it? Yeah, he he did get banged up, eh, and he never kind yeah, of... He was a Phoenix first-round first, so first round pick, 27th overall. 
Yeah, that guy could, no, was he was a pretty promising player. The, and the well, Oilers took Mitch Moraz, of course, 32nd overall that year, and he never yeah. played an NHL game, so he didn't make the list you just gave us. So I think they all at least had a look here, but Moraz never came close. And that was uh, a time where there's a little bit too much navel gazing going on, maybe in the Oilers organization and scouting staff. It wasn't the best period for the Oilers, the, the whole Tambellini era and, and the McTavish era, really. They, I mean, oh. McTavish did nail his first-round draft picks, Nurse and Dreisaitl. So yes. we can give him immense, immense credit for those two picks. But um, other than that, it wasn't the best of times. So so I also look, Bruce, just real quick at Precy. Um, mm-hmm. I was just looking at him tonight. He's, he, he ran the, I think it's five years in Colorado, running the draft there. And, you know, it's, it's, he didn't get a lot of core 12 players, but he did get six. And so two of the six that he got were kind of no, no brainer picks. They're, they're in that category, maybe even three. Nathan McKinnon, number one, everyone's going to make that pick. Gabriel Landeskog, number two. I think about 80 to 90% of the people in the, that draft would have made that pick. Um, or, or someone just as good. There was a, quite a few really good players in that, well, that 2011 the, uh, draft. Nugent Hopkins draft, like Hampton. Yeah, Sean Couturier, if they picked him, yeah. he would look good, you know, or, or Shifley, or, you know, there was a number of uh, top-notch uh, players picked that year. Uh, Uberdo, you know. I think I think last <clears> so, was the consensus. I, yeah, I, I think, yeah, he was. And, and, you know, they were picking from a strong hand, and they got a... They got a good player, so. And Matt Duchesne was number three overall. So again, not you know the you know fairly rote pick on a certain level. He was just a fantastic junior hockey player, and and seemed fairly um, in the 2009 entry draft. Matt Duchesne went number three. Um, so, but he made two other picks in 2009 on which mm-hmm. his reputation rests. Uh, Ryan O'Reilly was taken 33rd overall, and Tyson Berry um, 64th overall. These are a brilliant picks absolutely fantastic picks um his first draft where he's the boss he takes duchene o'reilly and barry these are you know kind of historically in in the running for the best three picks made by a by a scout in a row like the oilers would be in that i th- you know i did messi at low uh messi and anderson where they one two three yes in that in, so in so the that's, history of the Oilers. <laughs> we'll take that in that's a better history that's a better three, mm-hmm. but this is really, really good. But still, these are three, three, pretty high-end NHLers, and, and Ryan O'Reilly in the second round. Wow. Uh, 2009, he got picked in the second round. 2009-10, he played 81 games for Colorado Avalanche in the NHL. You can tell me how many second rounders played in the NHL in the very next season? They're dropped plus one year <clears throat> in this century. And I'm going to give you two names, Ryan O'Reilly and Patrice Bergeron. And if wow. there's another one, I don't know, but both those guys just came out, come right off the, not, not quite off the board. I mean, second round picks, but to make the NHL at 18 and play great right from the go, uh, they were real exceptions almost always. So the guys that can do that are high first round picks. So this was Pracy's, right out of Pracy's stomping ground, too, which is the OHL, and O'Reilly was taken out of that, as was Duchesne. So, um, so uh, fantastic work. You know, there's a lot of luck in this, too, obviously, in, mm-hmm. in drafting and scouting, but um, 
you got to be good to be lucky. And so his record in Colorado, though, after that first draft is is really unexceptional. He didn't really identify anyone other than the obvious picks of Landis right. and McKinnon in the drafts. Um, after that, he Will Butcher became an NHL player for a while, but that's the best they got. And he 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 didn't do you know of all the other picks that he made none of them really panned out at all so his his record's okay i'm gonna say he had one great draft and then the rest were not very good at all except when he had obvious picks to make like nathan mckinnon so in edmonton though his role i'm just guessing could be wrong but i'm just it's not like in the old days where like barry fraser was a scout and he was the scout and there was right. one scout or two scouts they may, maybe you'd have three guys they had lauren davis they had there was one other yeah, regular bird dog. Uh, but there was uh, a guy in Finland, right, Maddie Vicenin. Oh yes, yeah. Yeah, and so they had like a bird dog scout. Yeah, small, small sp- scouting staff. Yeah. So it's not like the the Very. the job isn't like that anymore. Where he he's the guy, you know, he's it's more it's in some ways I think it's kind of um, a managerial role where you got six or seven or eight or nine guys working mm-hmm. under you, um, and um, you have to pick those guys your job is actually to to properly assess your staff and make sure you have the right people hired. So mm-hmm. he's got a lot of experience as a scout, you know, 20 years now as a scout in the NHL, this time as a head scout. So he, he hopefully he's able to identify young, talented mm-hmm. scouts and hire them. That's his job. Right. And, um, and then assess their work and make the right call from, you know, based on, you know, he, he would come in once they're excited about a player, I'm guessing, and give it a, like the second look kind of thing yeah well other than the three first rounders that you named that were you know numbers one two and three overall and yeah. uh, mckinnon landis cog and uh um duchene duchene 2010 17th overall joey Heshawn played 13 games 2012 well 41st overall they traded the first pick michael heard no games uh in uh, oh, 2011, they had Landis Cog, and they also had an 11th overall pick, Duncan Siemens, 11, uh, 20 games. And in 2014, uh, 23rd overall, Connor Bleakley, zero games. And so, you know, any pick outside the top three, uh, other than that one draft with, uh, with uh, Barry and uh, O'Reilly, uh, there was not, you know, like I say, Will Butcher, uh, Joseph Landisi, you know, 100 NHL yeah. games. And if you remember even one of them, well, good on you. <laughs> Someone's <laughs> got to play beat. right on. They had a terrible team. <laughs> so they, they were a terrible team in that era. And he he was part of it. Like, he just didn't – he found some pieces that became huge for mm-hmm. Colorado. Because when they traded Duchesne and O'Reilly, I mean, they didn't in the end um, – well, they got Bowen Byram from the uh, Matt Duchesne trade. Right. And then Gerard, I think, also from the Duchesne trade. They didn't, the pieces they got for O'Reilly didn't really work out as well. But, uh, you know, uh, the, um, I remember Duncan Siemens because he has the best quote, I think all time about Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He was talking about Ryan Nugent Hopkins on ice vision. And he said, it's like, he's got a hundred eyes in his head. (laughs) (laughs) Very colorful, Mm -hmm. uh, description of Ryan Nugent Hopkins. And, um, yeah, very perceptive as well. But you're right, Bruce. Like this, okay. So it's not a great record. It's oh, it's 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 a it's a inconsistent one. It's like a roller coaster, where you start at the top and it kind of rockets down after that. So and and then he went to Philly, and 
in Philly, you know, I mean, obviously he's one of many coach uh, scouts, but when you look at Philly's record of of success uh, since he went over there, was that 2016 he started there? Uh, they got Carter Hart. That was a good pick for them in, in uh, uh, 2016 in the second round, but their first round pick played four games and their other second round picks played zero and 75 games. But he's he's not and, the head scout. Bruce. No, he's I know. Probably, so I'm just saying the whole OHL, group of them probably were below OHL average. scout. Well, their okay. biggest mistake, their biggest uh-huh. mistake, Bruce, they took Nolan Patrick yes. when they could have had Heiskanen or Kale McCarr. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, no, yeah, and that is. that is now. But again, he's not. He's just a cog in the wheel. There, he's the mm-hmm. Ontario guy. He's probably not even watching Patrick play very okay. much. All right. He's his job is to watch the other players. So I'm not really. Um, so out of the Ontario League. Um, yeah, let's look, let's look at those guys. Well, I, 20, I 2017, Morgan Frost from the Sioux, 158 games. Isaac Ratlaff, second round from Guelph, 10 games. You know. Uh, well, they took Tyson Forster, who's looking like he might be a player. And Morgan Frost was a core 12 player with Philly, a terrible team last year. Oh, wow. So <laughs> Frost had 46 points in 81 games last year. Okay, and Tyson, well, I guess Tyson Forster. Him Tyson Forster is a big, fast winger. They didn't take a lot of players from the OHL in his mm-hmm. time there. They took, they took. Those were the three main picks: Ratliff, Frost, and Forster. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if Forster pans out, that's and he's trending fairly Cam well. Cam York might be coming around as a first rounder from 2019. He was. Is he from OHL? Starting, starting to get. Oh no, that's that's. He was from U.S. national team. So. Yeah. So I don't. I. I it's kind of hard to tell the yes, you know it is. To, to, when the guy's one member of a staff definitely ten ten amateur scouts he's one of them right like it's like you just don't know like what I think they should do like if you're running an NHL team you should get from all the scouts every year give me your top fifty players give me a list of your top fifty players and I'm gonna put it in a little box and keep it so then three years later you can mm-hmm. go and look at everyone's list of top fifty each of the scouts on your of your, uh, of right. your group. Okay. and then you know uh, who was seeing what, who who got it right. I think it's very important uh, in terms of rating these guys, and I'm sure they wouldn't like to do that to give to, to actually be. You know, I wouldn't surprise me if they did do that to be honest. But they, you know, just in their own area. It, yeah, it, well, you could do it. Like, yeah, who are your top fifty players in the WHL Western Scout? Right. And I want that every year. And if they're not doing that, they should do that. That, that should be Rick Pracy's job one is start to keep track of every scout mm-hmm. who they're rating in their area each year. Because mm-hmm. I think it's hard. Then you don't have to wait necessarily four or five years to rate them. Maybe after two or three years, you're starting to get a sense of who's turning out. And out of all the group of players, a bigger sample size, it's easier then to see um, exactly what your scout thought of them and whether he's he's – his his top guys are trending up or trending down and you could know after about three years i think and then after three years if they're not if they're getting it wrong you you move on you get a different scout you think they're doing that well they they kind of just did it didn't they with uh with uh tyler wright well a new a new (laughs) guy jackson comes to town and 
changes yeah. are made. No, that, that, and that was your theory, and it's probably the correct theory, right? I, like I was thinking, well, it's possible Holland got rid of his own guy, and it is possible. But I honestly think like, Holland is done after this year. Could well be he might want to retire. We'll like not everyone. We'll see what happens, but I, I think their transition has begun. Not everybody likes take. the grind of working into their seventies, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, some people. Mm -hmm. Alan Dershowitz is going strong. He's he just turned 85, and I listen to his podcast now and then. And man, mm -hmm. his sharp is it's unreal how sharp that guy is. But um, and Lou Lar in, in hockey, there's Lou Lamorello, right? Who's 80 now, isn't he? And mm -hmm. working away. So yeah, oh yeah, there's guys. Bowman, yeah. yeah Scotty but... Bowman kept working into his 80s. Mm -hmm. And that's what you, you're going to be doing, Bruce. You're stuck yeah. on this podcast till you're. Uh, well, I was going to say, Holland's up. my age. It's inevitable he's going to get old, fat, and lazy, too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're out walking every day. Don't sell yourself short. No negative self talk on this podcast, my friend. <laughs> All right. So, um, have we covered the field there? Have we got any other uh, final yeah. thoughts? Uh, well, other than we haven't done our prospects yet, but uh, oh no, yeah, we're moving on. Right, but no, uh, in that field, uh, it's wait and see what happens. Simple as that. Jaden Grube. Mm. I understand, Bruce, that uh, the Sutter is a huge fan. Uh, the Sutter who coached him in Red Deer. Right. I can never remember which which one it was. Brent. Brent. It just mm -hmm. massive fan. Like Brandon's massive. Brandon's dad, Brent. Yeah. This is what got me thinking they should stick uh, Brandon Sutter and Groove together from the beginning of camp and do some positive reinforcement on the on the kid, you know? Do you anyway, have the uh, Brent uh, Sutter quote uh, in front of you? Because you should, you should read that because that is, is that in your post? Uh, it's in my post and I'm going to get it right away because it was uh, it is, front and center it in is the post. It is glowing a review of a young player as you'll see, it, it, and it's interesting because Groob is not this, he's not, uh -huh. was he even a point of game guy in his last year? Like he's, he's a guy um, who's mainly focused on uh, defensive play, grinding it out, putting up the odd point. Um, he's on the power play by the end and he's captain for three years and he's a great big guy, but like he's, he doesn't get signed by New York for some reason. He's third round pick doesn't get signed. But his coach just is over the moon about the player. So what did he say? Yeah, well, he said uh, uh, we knew right when he was coming back to camp at age 17, we were going to name him captain. It was easy to name him captain just for the traits that he has in his DNA. He's just exceptional at that. He's off the charts. I'm extremely happy with him and the Rangers for drafting him because he brings an element that every team needs, especially down the middle of the ice. Uh, he's like all, obviously like all young players, they've got to continue to learn and get better and improve and take steps. He uh, he does have the stutter trying to go on and repeat himself in different ways. Uh, all of that is so natural for him. Uh, when you have that natural ability of leadership qualities, all those things kind of fall in line with it. So uh, he said he put the team ahead of himself, wanted to learn the game as a 16-year-old in a proper way to play. The respect that you see others around the room have for him, the way he carried himself, he's coachable, challenging individuals and the team to be better, yet he would put it on himself and was always aware that I've got to be better for the group. He'd be one of those guys that would say that. And uh, he went on to say 
He's one of those guys that plays for keeps every night. His intensity is through the roof. To me, he's going to be a real solid NHL player that brings the toughness that you love down the middle, brings a two-way game down the middle, someone a coach can put in any situation if needed. So so his draft year was wiped out pretty much by COVID. He only played five games that five season. Five of the 24, and then he had a season-ending injury. At is that 17. right? Yeah. So then the next season he comes back and he only gets 35 points in 68 games. And that's probably when the Rangers mm-hmm. sour on him, right? Because that's, that's they not... they drafted him after the five-game season, third round. Yeah. So but... he's coming back and he has like 35 points in 68 games. But this year, now maybe he soured on them. We don't know. But like we don't know why Group didn't sign there. But no, he don't. has 67 points in 64 games. Yep. He has 71 penalty minutes. Yeah. Um, so this... With that endorsement, I mean, I just kind of, I was like, wow. Like, I, I Sutters aren't usually that effusive, I don't find. But Well, this is a Sutter-style player from everything I'm hearing. Yeah, exactly. You know, big, hard, nuts and bolts, right shot, grinding center that uh, plays for keeps, you know. And, hey, we could use one of those. And if we can Looks get like- one, I mean, he was picked... First pick in the third round, number 65 overall. And when Rangers couldn't trade him and the Oilers kind of waited them out, he was saying Rangers made him available a few weeks before the deadline. Day before the deadline, Holland gets him for a fifth. 152nd overall, two years later, for a guy that's two years ago was, you know, right at the right at the end of the second round, beginning of the third, and who's now played those two years, who didn't tread water or go downhill. Like, you look at that and say, well, they're getting rid of him at that price. He's gone sideways or worse. But au contraire, I mean, everything I'm reading about him and everything I see in his stats say this is a guy that's improving steadily, and uh, I don't see any reason why he won't in the pros. And that, with that said, I'm going to say at least two years in the AHL before he becomes a serious part of the conversation in the NHL, but uh, that's what we don't have to wait two years for him to get out of junior to then spend two more years establishing himself. He's ready now, and at six foot three, two hundred and three pounds, I think he is. Yeah. He's right there as a you know already a big fellow, and he's he doesn't grow anymore in height. He's certain to add a few more pounds onto two hundred, and uh, he could be. Uh, physical force so you know the 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 pointers and the arrows many of them are in his favor the one minus one is why would new york trade him you know if it's all this going for him but uh new york's been known to screw up before you heard it from me first and all those rangers fans out there and maybe that you know i they they According to their own fans, their situation at center changed that their priorities within the organization changed. I still don't quite get why they would project what they're going to need in two or three years' time based on uh, what what they've got right now. But anyway, that's all part of history. The Oilers got them by whatever uh, by whatever means, and maybe they got a uh, maybe they got a steal at a cheap price, and maybe they just got a you know another guy that's just going to grind it out and not really go very far. I guess time will tell, but I like what I see, hear, read, and calculate based on, you know, his the uh, ramping up of his stats and so on. Well, I found your post very persuasive, Bruce. I mean, you, you mm-hmm. called it one of Holland's best uh, trades. And well, you, underrated uh, trade, absolutely. Underrated right trade, that's, that's it. 
And then I read Sutter's comments and I was thinking, man, I rated this guy too low. I, I, I don't think I had him eighth. I think I may have had him 10th or 11th or something mm-hmm. like that in our, in our prospect voting. And I just was thinking, geez, like, uh, this is a, especially Sutter's rave review. So we'll see maybe. Yeah. But you know, his two years, Ryan McLeod's contracts up in two years, the Oilers, if they have success, will not definitely will not be able to keep all the players that we as fans want them to be able to keep. It will not happen. They are going to lose some really good hockey players. They're going to break our hearts. Uh, but that's the good news because that means the owners have had some, hopefully, some some real success and they just can't afford to keep te- the team together. So they're going to need some, some of these players. We've already seen it. And we're, yeah, we with I was a huge Clean Costin fan. Jeez, yeah, I, I like that player. I thought he's $2 million a year. I wish you had that because I think he's worth that. Don't have it. You got to move on. So, um, Anyway, the, the, he's he's a definitely a hopeful at a key position. So, you know, the orders they're just, it, we've said you can't really rank this. Oh, oh, this cat just escaped. Get back in here. My sister's cats are still in this room and they're not allowed out because my oh. our cats are much bigger and not friendly. Uh, like one another? Like, well, they, it won't go well, I don't think. <laughs> okay. <laughs> It'll be like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, it won't go well. Um, so anyway, um, the player that I was writing about, Bruce, was Carter Savoy. And he's one of these draft picks that have been made in the green um, uh, Tyler Wright era. And he went, I think, 100th overall in 2020. He had two really great years in college hockey. Playing in Den- playing at Denver, and his stock just kept rising, where it looked like you know the owners had made a real maybe a real steal of a of a draft pick at one point, taking him because um, he was just lighting it up in his last season in the uh, NCAA hockey and um, really good with the puck and so showed some kind of nastiness, some aggression in his game, and um, so I was pretty high on him but last year man he just had he had just a rancid year on a number of levels he didn't get going in terms of scoring um he only had um i think it was like um 11 points in 44 games something like that off the top of my head um and he he just uh yeah 11 points in 44 games and uh, he was injured two or three times just as you know as he's trying to get some traction in Bakersfield, he just never got it. They were playing veteran players ahead of him. You know, I just think he had a rough um, introduction. Maybe he himself wasn't ready for pro hockey and the rigors of pro hockey and everything it was going to take. Um, our friend, um, Cult of Hockey contributor Ira Cooper, was writing about him. And I'll just quickly read some of Ira's comments because I think he did a good job of summing up. Uh, his season in Bakersfield. Savoy started the season on the fourth line, and while he did get a few opportunities up the lineup, he never really took advantage of them and spent most of the season in the bottom six. It seemed every time Savoy started to gain traction, he would get hurt again. He missed time with injury twice more, including a month plus. He had been, of course, hurt in uh, training camp. There are good moments and stretches for Savoy. He was able to show the organization and the fans his top skill, that lethal shot a few times. Scored a couple of nice goals, but unfortunately, he simply wasn't able to work to get in 
to position to get that shot off with any regularity. Of course, he was playing with the bottom six HL line mates most of the time. Uh, Savoy isn't large in stature, but he is also uh, not a shrinking violet out there. He can bang the body and he's able to compete on the boards where he is good at using his stick to win battles. With that said, his compete level has major inconsistencies and to my eye, fitness remains an issue. So this is a player who could quickly fade. He's got to come in and make the top six in Bakersfield this year. He's just got to get one of those roles. He's got to get on the power play. He's got to make a mark as a professional hockey player this season in the AHL. And uh, it's just really in doubt. He's got, you know, there's competition from Xavier Borgo, the first pick in 2021, Tyler Tulio, who is kind of a scrappy winger with some skill. <coughs> there's uh, Petrov, Matt Petrov. There's uh, Griffith. Um, their HL vet, Seth Griffith, their veteran, who's kind of takes the time, a lot of time um, on the power play and on the first unit. There's, uh, I think, Justin Bailey's back, who's a big winger who scores a lot. There's um, um, Lane Peterson, who's a center. So there's lots of competition on the wing. There's Drake Kajula. So it's almost a shame in a way that they have Griffith on this team. I think the Griffith is blocking at this point both, uh, you know, between between Savoy, Petrov, and Tulio, um, and Borgo, you'd think they should get two wingers at least in their top six out of those guys. Right, and yeah, if yeah. one of them is blocked by Griffith, not sure. He's a similar player. He's 30 years old now. Um, I'm not thrilled with that i know that you want to win at the ahl level and players like griffith can help you do that but um yeah yeah i'm not i i think they have a lot of the same kind of player and to me i think they should dump they should trade griffith right away and mm -hmm. let these guys uh battle it out i mean bailey's still there he's a bigger player kajula's probably there um so um yeah that's what i would prefer to see maybe sam gagne will be there I don't like the fact that Griffith's on their top power play unit at this point coming into the season and blocking players like uh, Savoy. But maybe he's got, they've got to earn it would be what, you know, the rejoinder. Yeah, that, that'll be the rejoinder, exactly. What do you think? Got to have some, you know, I'll, I think all AHL teams have their share of, of veterans and the coaches tend to lean on veterans at every level of hockey. We're going to saw it, I think, in the guy we're going to talk about next as well, uh, Olivia Rodrigue, where <clears throat> he got a lot of starts and did pretty well when Calvin Pickard was out. And as soon as Pickard came back, as who got the lion's share of the starts was the older man, even as at the end of the year, they both posted 9-12 and nearly identical goals against average as well. But uh, uh, Pickard was definitely the go-to choice with uh, Rodrigue not so much, so he kind of blocked as well. At the same time, you want to have a number three organizational goalie down there that you can call up in a injury situation, and you're probably going to want to do that with Calvin Pickard before Olivia Rodrigue if you're you know if you need to win those games. It's tougher with the goalie, right? Because when when your goalie enters an NHL game, he's your number one goalie. He's, yeah, he's, he's the definition. only goalie, right? Like by definition, mm -hmm. it's like suddenly thrust in the role of number mm -hmm. one center, number one defenseman, number one goalie. Like it is a, it's a different, um, yeah. it's a different beast. And you have yeah. to, so yeah. I'm okay with when I hear you talk about that. I'm, 
I'm okay with that. Like Calvin Pickard, probably, you know, Rodrigue got into 29 games. Um, hopefully he'll step up and grab that number one job this year there mm-hmm. and get into 50 games and um, just say, I'm the guy. I'm if, if, if Campbell or Skinner gets hurt, I'm the guy. Right. If, with the forward, I mean, I do think you need some veteran forwards. No. But I just because there's such replication and skill between these four, Lavoie right. could end down there. Uh, Rafael Lavoie could end up in the HL again. It's just too much of a repetition and skill. And he's a bigger guy. He's more in competition with um, Justin Bailey, for instance, for that kind of bigger man role on the power play. And um, it took Lavoie a long time to work his way up onto that power play and, and start scoring in the second half. And I just see maybe this is a bit of an issue on this team where they've got to make sure, I know Keith Gretzky's down there and there's close oversight, but they're, they're getting, they're adding some young wingers this year, two of them in Petrov. Uh, is it two this year that they added? No, they, I guess uh, Savoy, Tulio, and Borgo um, yeah, were all there last year. And this year they're adding Petrov. So there's mm-hmm. these four young, skilled wingers. And I'd also like Chason from the Western Chase League, but I'm not sure yeah. I put him in the kill, skilled, high-skilled category, but he has a you know, a young professional turning pro this year that's going to have to yeah. find a spot somewhere. And there's Kajula, right, who could, who's probably a point-of-game player in the AHL. So, um, and is a smaller player, too. So I'm not, I'm not exactly... We'll see what happens this year. Took, it took Raphael Lavoie a long time to work his way up, and Savoy never really got an opportunity, maybe through injury and, and, and inconsistency of effort. He didn't deserve it. But um, I sure want to see these players get their chance. Tulio did work his way up and, and got some opportunity. And Ira's actually, Ira Cooper's going to be reviewing him tomorrow night, I believe, for us. So uh, that's excellent. Um, any other thoughts, Ron? So who are we on now? Um, Rodrigue? Well, tonight, tonight, Rodrigue, yeah. And I kind of yeah. gave you my outlook on him. I, yeah. I like his trajectory. And he, I think he's pretty comparable to where Stu Skinner was two years ago, which is kind of what you'd expect because he's two years behind him on the um, uh, on the uh, development curve. You know, he turned pro in uh, 2020, Skinner in 2018. And so now um, Rodriguez is entering that fourth year where for goalies only, Unlike um, other position players, he still is protected from waivers this year, the fourth year. of, uh, So he had to get an extension, but it's still for a fourth year. They can send him down without worrying. That's just a special rule for goalies. And it worked for Skinner, you know, two seasons ago. In his fourth year, he played some in the NHL, but mostly he was, uh, he was uh, ramping it up in the AHL. And then... In his fifth year last year, they couldn't waive him, so he had to be on the team, and we all know what happened. So, and one of the things that happened was for Skinner was Ken Holland had signed him to a two-year deal at NHL minimum, not one year like Rodriguez has at the moment. So last year, Skinner played for the Oilers at the NHL minimum, and he was their number one goalie. A fantastic bargain contract that Ken Holland received zero credit for. But to me, getting getting Skinner for the second year at the minimum, two years ago when when you know it was going to be decision time in the NHL, you know if he'd signed him to a one-year contract, then last summer he would have had to pay him you know one million, one point two million, something like that, and instead he got him for seven fifty. 
Yeah, he gives a lot of those two-year deals, and he often gets criticized for those two-year deals, mm-hmm. Holland does. But this fair, very fair-minded of you, Bruce, and sharp eyes pointing that out. It's a good it's a good point. Like he he, he uh, There's subtle little moves that Holland makes. Some of them work out. Some of them they don't all stink. They don't all stink. Oh. Sometimes they work out. He's, since he's taken over, I think Stoffer says he's got the, the orders of the second best record in the NHL or something like that. So clearly he's not doing everything wrong. Like he's he's figuring out a few things. So Rodrigue played. Um, yeah, he's uh, last year was his best first really good year actually in the minors, and his save percentage went up to nine twelve. Yeah, he should. You'd want him see see him play. This is this is a huge year. They're, they're all huge years for these players. Their careers go so fast, of course. Yeah. But um, this is his last year on his ELC. He's got to play. Actually, he's, he's through his ELC. He signed a one year extension. Oh, okay, you're right. Because so, he's he in his fourth year. Okay, it's, yeah. it's not. You're not it's, on a four year ELC. You're just you're just fourth year waiver exempt. Yeah. Okay, excellent. So um, we'll see what happens with him. It's. Uh, the other thing, though, with him is, let's say he has a great year. Well, where do you put him? Because they've already got two goalies on long-term contracts. Like, they're kind well, of locked themselves in, you know? Maybe if Campbell and Skinner have good years, you, you trade mm-hmm. one of them. Yeah, like, if Jack Campbell has a, a, a good year and you need money, you know, and, and he knocks it out of the park and, let's say, has like a 9.28 save percentage and 40 50 <laughs> in the AHL. HL goalies do that now and then, he, and he just kills it for the second year in a row. Maybe you think, well, we need money to sign so-and-so. Um, this is one of these moves you make. So he can force his way yeah. by being a cheaper option. Um, maybe, maybe he crushes it with Bakersfield in 2024 the way Glenn Hall did with the Edmonton Flyers in 1954-55. That he was so good that he forced trader Jack Adams to trade Terry Sawchuck to make room for Glenn Hall. So that's how you do it. That was, uh, that was a great team, by the way, the 54-55 Edmonton Flyers. 1950s sports reference from Bruce. <laughs> that's, uh, let me just, I'm just going to go look at his Glenn Hall's record. Who was he playing with? Edmonton Flyers. Of the WHL. Oh, I see. Yeah, he's six, yeah. Uh, what year? This well, he won. A, he won the West in '53 and '55, but the '55 team in particular is my favorite. That had uh, Normie Ullman, Johnny Busick, Glenn Hall, three Hall of Famers, Al Arbor, future Hall of Fame coach. If you go back uh, to '54, Bruce. He, I, I, oh, well, yeah. There's, there's lots of names there. If you go back to '54, it's this is so archaic that they, you can't even find stats for goals against average, mm-hmm. let alone save percentage. Okay. Uh, when you look at that. Yeah, they have Bronco Horvath on that team. Yep. 24, Johnny Busick, 19. Normie Ullman, 18. Whew. Yeah. Al Arbor, 21. And Glenn Hall, mm-hmm. uh, 22. Wow. Yep. Wow, also, what a team. They also had the uh, uh, coach, Bud Poyle, uh, whose yeah. son, David Poyle, just retired. Bud Poyle was the first GM of the Philadelphia Flyers, and David Poyle was the first GM of the Nashville Predators. That's a that's a family rarity. Keith Bingo Allen was that the Keith Allen that became the, the GM coach. of the Philadelphia Flyers? Yeah, he was in Philly, and they and, won. Uh, uh, and they the rumor was that they actually named the Philadelphia Flyers spelled the same the as Flyers. the Edmonton Flyers, and it was guys from that team who were right in it and. 
Did he be? Did he actually build the Broad Street Bullies? Then Keith Allen, that was him, right? Well, him and yeah, Shiro. Shiro, yeah. But he's he yeah. hired Shiro, and they 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 had a thing. They had something in mind. They also had Lauren Davis on that team, the Edmonton Flyers, and Lauren Davis became the scout for the Edmonton Letters who mm -hmm. recommended Glenn Anderson. So um, and Jerry Melnick, the super scout who recommended Bobby Clark to the Philadelphia Flyers, was on that team as well. Wow, uh, a lot yeah. of hockey history on that team, Bruce. <laughs> Lot yes, of yes, there was. I mean, those were the days you had six-team NHL, and you kind of had six-team leagues in the AHL, the CHL, the WHL, that all were feeder leagues to the NHL. Uh, but only the very best got through because, of course, there was only 100 and basically 100 jobs available in the NHL at that time, and six for goalies. So guys like Glenn Hall, no matter how good they were, got jammed up. They also had Ray Kanasiewicz, who was first the, ever coach of the Edmonton Oilers. 72-73. <clears throat> Alberta Oilers, pardon me. The Alberta Oilers. Yeah, yeah the Alberta Oilers. Yeah. Alrighty. Uh, are we, any, anything we've missed? I think we're done. Well, we're covering the 54-55 uh, Edmonton uh, Flyers, so <laughs> I think we're getting to the pretty thoroughly exhausted all topics point of the podcast potentially here. <laughs> All right. I think you're right, Bruce. I think you are correct. Bruce, I just want to make one uh, non-hockey recommendation. Mm -hmm. So um, as you, you, I don't know, your kids are probably too old to be caught up in the Harry Potter phenomenon. Um, maybe not. My my kids, my eldest son, uh, Jack, is son 30. All the books. He did, eh? So my mm -hmm. kids love those books. And I didn't read the books. I just read, watched the movies. And I thought, mm -hmm. I never got the Harry Potter thing from the movies. Mm -hmm. I thought it was kind of crappy that the movies were not that entertaining and not that interesting. Mm -hmm. But I'm now listening to the audiobooks on Audible. And mm -hmm. it is one of the most enjoyable uh, entertainment experiences I've had in a long time. Excellent. The books are fantastic. They are fantastic uh, storytelling. Just as terms of just like a forget all the the tricks and the plot and the wizard and stuff. Just the coming of age story of these three young people mm -hmm. is very well told. And uh, so if you're on Audible and you're looking for something to read, I'm going to recommend that series. It is fantastic if you've never read the books, which I had never done. So. All right. All right. What's wrong with Harry Potter. Apparently not, although the movies, you, I, I don't recommend them. Not at all. Yeah. Bruce, thanks for talking. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>